This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Matthews Archery, elevating the archery experience. I've been shooting the Phase 4 33 this fall, and that thing has been shooting lights out for me. And so much, I got my first out-of-state buck with the phase four and i got to go to kansas this year drew a tag and got it done on opening day with a beautiful giant velvet a point with my good friend cody butler and we got it done with the phase four and i can't say enough good things about this bow i love the deadly accuracy of the bow the deadly quietness of the bow and the dead vibration in your hand when you shoot this thing so if you're interested in learning more about the phase four 33 as well as the other bows in Matthew's lineup and accessories, head to matthewsinc.com. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Yamaha Outdoors and their proven lineup of ATVs, side-by-sides, and off-road vehicles. The Hunt Stand team has got the Wolverine RMAX 4 1000 XTR at our side this fall, and we are going to be putting this thing to significant use from the Deerwoods all the way up to the Elk Mountains. If you're interested in learning more about Yamaha, head to yamahamotorsports.com slash side-by-side so you can check out that Wolverine RMAX 4100. The podcast is also brought to you by 10 Point Crossbows, the leader in crossbow technology for over 25 years. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Moose Utility Division, your brand for all seasons. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Savage Firearms. Better comes standard. Melissa, welcome back to the Hunt Stand Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me. I sure appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy fall to talk about deer hunting with me. Yes, uh, we're right in kind of the middle of it right now. So <laughs> it works great. At least we're doing midday. Early right now, we're not always out hunting midday. So this works great. Now you're in South Dakota, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what are your deer acting like up there? I'm kind of interested. 
You know, right now we've had really nice weather. So I was in Ohio earlier, uh, just uh, probably 10 days ago. And I sat, I think, four days in the tree stand with over 90 degree weather. Um, wow. That is not ideal. I mean, any deer hunter knows the deer just, they're not moving. You no. know, you might get movement the last four or five minutes before mm -hmm. dark. Um, and that was really it. And it's hard, you know, it's hard for any of us when you pay the money, you book a trip, you go someplace and then the weather is just awful. You know, yeah. a lot of times people want to just go home. And I thought, you know what? No, we're going to stick it out. I knew the last day, day and a half, we mm -hmm. would probably have good weather. And the number of bucks that ended up going down that last day and a half when that cold front came in, it was amazing. And that's kind of what you're out there for. And, and by the off chance that maybe a nice buck does come through a 90 degree weather that decides to come out to a greenfield that we're sitting on. And, you know, it's just a lot of it's mindset. You cannot have perfect weather. You cannot have perfect everything every time you hunt. Yeah. So it's kind of learning to adapt and, and change with the deer and see what they're doing and get your cameras out and try to, to make your moves and have lots of stand locations, really. I mean, that's that's a key to it. But it was hard, you know, Those that for first period of time, it was mm -hmm. very difficult. When you don't have much movement, it becomes kind of uh, not the best situation. But no. right now, we've got a lot cooler weather. Mm -hmm. We're now in mid-October. In South Dakota, we have got deer on their feet. Again, a lot of them still are at nighttime, which is a big thing that happens this time of year. Yeah. Um, but the good news is, you know, we've got bucks out. We've got them moving. The daytime temps are in the 50s. Um, so for me, that's all I can ask for. You know, get those Heck nice, yeah. cool temperatures. I'm a big fan of putting out a lot of the mock scrapes, doing mm -hmm. that kind of thing to try to get some of these deer to transition. Because in my mind, when November comes, I mean, deer are everywhere, right? That is the best time of the year to hunt, but I have time in October too. And so does everybody else. And yep. you want to get out there. You've been waiting all year to go hunting. Um, you want to find ways to do that. So one thing that I've really found helpful is by creating these mock scrapes and putting them up and having, you know, your licking branch, your rub post, mm -hmm. we put lots of water holes out. Um, I've always just been a big believer in all that. And even the vertical licking branches, you know, doing things to get these deer to come in front of your stand and to come not necessarily during the night, but during the day when you're actually hunting. Heck yeah. You know, I, I have to say, um, I was, I found some success in Kansas early and we were sitting over a water hole with a mock scrape and had those two things not been there, I probably wouldn't have gotten an opportunity on this guy. So they work, they definitely work. So uh, what about, uh, I want to ask you a question cause I've been asking a lot of my guests this lately because I feel like you've, we've been seeing it a lot on social media and that's the October lull. So I want to ask you, do you believe in the October lull? Well, here's the thing, the October lull. I mean, there's no question. Um, you look at my numbers over the years, someone who hunts all the time, mm -hmm. there's definitely a period of time in there where you are not consistently killing the big mature bucks like you would, let's say in November. Yep. So I believe, yeah, I mean, there's definitely the numbers speak for themselves, but there are ways you can kind of overcome that. Um, the weather is the number one thing you yes. get cool temps in October, big bucks always go down. Mm -hmm. What people have to remember is, yeah, it might seem like, okay, you know, bucks aren't moving quite as much, but you've got benefits too. They're also maybe haven't been pressured as much. They may not know they're being hunted yet. You might be going into areas that nobody's been in. You know, if you've been staying out of there before season, 
you've got so many things going for you that I think sometimes people kind of dwell on the the setbacks of yeah. it that, you know, maybe you're not getting that all day activity. Then I'll be honest. I don't hunt all day, dark to dark in the beginning to middle October That's hard. because it's just lo- the long days. Um, and I like to be sharp when I'm hunting. I don't want to be like by the time that it's evening and it's good, I'm so tired and just, you know, not really paying as close of attention. So I'm a big believer in just trying to stay sharp and to hunt smart. You know, um, maybe it is sleeping in some mornings when we had those 90 degree temps, we weren't going out much in the morning because it really wasn't much activity. I did a couple of them and we saw almost nothing. And I said, you know what? I'd rather catch up on my rest right now. I've got a six month old baby at home. I could mm-hmm. use a little extra sleep. Yes. And uh, we hunted the evenings and you know, you see that late season, you see it early season. And I think sometimes people feel like maybe they're not giving it their all. No, you're just being smart about it. You mm-hmm. know, I don't want to go into a place where I know deer are feeding and bump them all out of there to sit and try to wait for them to come back. They're not going to, they already, they're out of there. Why mess it up for my spot later? And why put more pressure on those deer when it's really not needed and may not be that beneficial. It's a good time to practice patience. (laughs) Yes, it is. And that's hard for us deer hunters. Definitely hard. So, well, Melissa, today's podcast, I wanted to get you on because I wanted to pick your brain and find out, uh, with all the traveling you do, you've gotten to hunt in a lot of places, experience a lot of different states, uh, hunting scenarios, different types of deer, if you will. Uh, but I wanted to pick your brain and find out what you feel like are some of the best states to go hunt this time of year. You know, I uh, feel like right now you see a lot of stuff about different rut hunting strategies, tips, tactics, which we talk about, we do. But I wanted to kind of give a podcast to the listeners that they may be looking to go out of state for the first time, or they're trying to narrow their focus on where they could go this time of year to kill a pretty dang good buck, you know, whether it's the rut, pre-rut, whatever it is. But I wanted to talk to you about that. But before we do, just give the listeners a quick 30,000 foot view of yourself and how you've gotten to where you are today. Well, you know, I've always just absolutely loved hunting. Um, I never wanted to have a TV show, never planned on it. Um, I just wanted to find a way to hunt every single day. (laughs) That was my only goal. And of course you can't go to college and say, Hey, I want to be a hunter. They'd laugh you out of there. So I went and I actually got a double major in television production in Spanish. I got done. I went and tried to find a job. Mm -hmm. I applied at 74 locations. Not one person would hire me. Um, so that's pretty disheartening when you get done and spent all this money on college, had great grades and nobody wants to hire you because you have no experience. Mm -hmm. And that's where I was at. So I actually ended up working at the North American hunting club, uh, for free. I was an unpaid intern for about four months. Um, I drove 150 miles a day back and forth to go work for free. Um, so if that doesn't show dedication, I'm not sure what does, but, um, I basically told them I'll do whatever you guys need. I'll clean the floors, I'll log tapes, I'll edit, I'll film. Um, I didn't go in with the idea of me being the on-camera hunter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's important is 
people, you know, that might be your end goal, but you can't always just go straight for that because there's, there's things you need to learn. And I think it was better because I actually learned every aspect of creating a TV show. I was a cameraman. I was an editor. I did all those things for other people. And as soon as I felt like I really had a grasp on the whole thing, I broke away and I started my own production company. And the only way I was able to make it is because I knew how to do all those things. Yeah. Um, I know I get people asking all the time, you know, I want to have a hunting show. How do I do it? Well, unless you're super rich, it's really hard to get started because it costs a lot of money Mm -hmm. and I didn't have any money. So what I did is I learned how to do all that. So that way I didn't have to hire it out. That's great. But I was probably working, I think close to a hundred hour weeks. I mean, I was beyond exhausted Um, for four or five years. I traveled about 320 days a year. I literally gave up everything to try to make this dream a reality. I cashed in my entire retirement to pay a cameraman to come with me on season number two, um, hoping I could get this thing going. Mm-hmm. I set my house up where if I didn't pay my airtime, they could take my home. Um, so I literally laid it all on the line. And I think sometimes when you risk it all, you will work harder for it. And then yeah. when it actually works out, I think you appreciate it more. So, you know, this was always a goal, a dream of mine, and it's just amazing to be able to do it. And I always joke that if I won the lottery tomorrow, I'd be doing the same thing. Now, I might not be filming it or doing anything on social media, but I would be out there hunting every single day. So, you know, I think people can see that passion and that love. And, you know, that's, that's there. That's, that will never go away course there's times it's hard to to be gone so much away from your family but um hunting is what i love and i think that comes through and so you know when november comes and it's deer season and the rut is kicking in i mean there is nowhere i would rather be than out on stand in november and because i've been able to travel so much both when i was a cameraman and as a hunter i've had the privilege to hunt so many different locations i grew up in central minnesota we had decent deer hunting. We never had anything great. We hunted public ground. We hunted behind our house and, you know, it was okay. But being able to travel, I've just had my eyes open so much as to different tactics, techniques, seeing what people do, seeing what works, learning from both the good and the bad, Mm -hmm. and then trying to tweak it to your own setup and to your own location and to the pressures that are around you. Because just because it works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone else, but you can take that base idea and then kind of run with it. And that's kind of what I've always done and, and try to always learn from people. I mean, I think every single day I go places, there's always more things that I can learn and and little things that I can pick up to make me a better hunter as well. Man, that, that is a, that's a big thing right there that you just talked ended on was uh, learning from people and not, not going into situations, I guess you could say, thinking you know it all to go kill a big deer and learning from the people that are there, essentially. So that's And, you know, whether you're hiring guides or it's just local guys in the coffee shop talking yeah. or, you know, neighbors, whatever it is, there's just so many things that people learn about the deer on their property. And, of course, there's some basic things, right, yeah. that, that go all across the board. The less mm-hmm. pressure you have, the better off you're going to be. I mean, there's a lot of things that are the same. But there are things that you can learn from others and, you know, maybe the land. I mean, a huge thing with deer hunting is knowing the lay of the Mm -hmm. land. You know, I'm using my hunt stand app. I use different things to see as much as I can ahead of time. But sometimes it's good to know, you know, straight from the ground of people that live there. What do those deer do? 
And what I like to do is let's say you talk to an old farmer and he says, this is what the deer always like to do. Well, then you can go on the app and you can see and try to figure out why are they doing that? Yes. That farmer, he may have no idea why they come through here, Mm -hmm. but you can go and you can figure it out as a hunter and kind of strategize and figure some of that out. So I think there's a lot to be said for both that, you know, in-person knowledge and then, you know, ways that you can take that to the next level and really learn from it and look for those type of things when you're looking for new land or areas to hunt or where you even want to hang stands. Yeah. It's just like they, uh, they just kind of go hand in hand and you can compound off of that simple knowledge that you learn. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Melissa, I want to get into today's podcast, and that's about finding a good state, great state for somebody to go chase after whitetail with any kind of weapon, whether it's bow, crossbow, firearm, or muzzleloader, rifle, anything, slug gun, doesn't matter what it is. So you've gotten to travel everywhere and chase after whitetail in a ton of different places, and we don't need to go in any particular order like Number one, number two, three, four, five. I want to kind of keep it blanket statement and give people different reasons as to why you like different states and locations within that state if you want to get that particular. But talk to us about some of your favorite places to go after whitetail. Well, probably my number one favorite place to go after big whitetails would be Illinois. And again, everyone's definition of big is different. Um, But if you're coming and you're someone who is looking for a Boone and Crockett whitetail, you want Mm -hmm. something 170 or better. Yeah. um, You need to go to states that consistently produce 170 inch deer. Mm -hmm. I don't care how good of a hunter you are. If you go to a place and they don't have those deer, it's, it's not going to be very good for you. So it really depends on where you want. You know, for me, I'll go most places. I'm going to shoot 140, 150 inch or better. Um, I usually am not going to pass on those deer depending where I'm at, um, depending what I know is there. Mm -hmm. But for me, if I'm looking for those excellent, huge bucks, Illinois is where I go. And it's because I've consistently shot big deer there um, because they have them. And I think it's important to know where you're at. Now, I love hunting South Dakota. That's our home state. Um, I killed a booner here probably five years ago. Um, It was amazing. But the chances of that happening on a consistent basis are not very high. But if you're looking for a good number of deer that come in great to decoying and, you know, a totally different strategy, South Dakota is the way to go. It's kind of a hidden place. It's amazing. It's so fun. But you hunt different than you would in Illinois, per se. But again, if someone was looking for a 170-inch buck, I would never recommend necessarily coming to South Dakota to make those dreams a reality. It's not that it can't happen. It's just it doesn't happen as often. Same with Montana. Mm -hmm. Um, I go to Montana every year. I hunt the Powder River, um, which is southeastern Montana, and I always do it right around Thanksgiving. It is one of the most fun hunts you could ever imagine because you get in those river bottoms, you rattle, and there'll be days we rattle 30, 40 different bucks in. I mean, Whoa. it is so much fun. Wow. And I've done it with a shotgun slug. I do it with rifles. I mean, it is a really neat hunt. Mm-hmm. But again, it's a place where, you know, I'm going to shoot the first 140-inch deer that I rattle in um, because they are not going to have that high, high quality. But you get to see so many more deer. So it really, you know, I think sometimes as hunters, we have to decide what are you looking for? Are you looking for a fun, active experience where you're having that interaction, seeing a lot of deer, you know, places like Montana, 
you can't beat it. I mean, you will rattle in more 120 inch oh. bucks than you could ever imagine. Heck yeah. And you know, sometimes people get excited and they shoot them and no big deal, yeah. but you've got to know what you're looking for. Now, if I went out there and I said, well, I only want to shoot, you know, a 170, 180 that comes in. Well, we might be rattling for two weeks and we may <laughs> never see that. I mean, you could, it's just not a high probability. Mm-hmm. I want to, <laughs> I want to back up to Illinois for just a second. You know, historically, like I, growing up watching TV, like you always hear about Pike County, Illinois, and you see these just big, thick, massive bucks. Some are on, you know, majority, I, I couldn't tell you what the percentage is, but majority of Illinois is private. They don't have a whole lot of public, do they? No, they do not. And, you know, they have some public ground. If someone's military, mm-hmm. um, one of the really cool things that you can look into it, I'm not sure if they're still the same, but they had these places called the Buckhorn Units um, that I believe were for residents or for military. Cool. Um, and it's a really great place really, really good hunting. Yeah. Um, and, and they're public. And I think how it used to be mm. is they would allow so many people in, right? So like four people could sign in that day, let's say, and then that's it. And so it doesn't get overrun with people. Um, again, I don't know, you know, how that is all set up right. now, but it was a really great option to look into, but yes, yeah, so much of Illinois is either tied up, uh, with private land and people leasing it, um, or with outfitters. Um, and, but you can use that to your advantage too. Oh, you know, absolutely. you get three, four buddies that want to get together and do a lease. Um, that's a place you can go find it. You can literally knock on doors. And if you're going to be willing to pay some money, you'll probably end up with a lease. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes people forget too, you, you get a lease. It's not set up. You no. don't get to just show up on opening day no. and have a tree stand in hand and think that you're going to go find success. It takes a lot of time. And, you know, you want to do it for multiple years. So that way, if you put in all that time yeah. and, and get the whole farm set to how you want that, you're not done with it that year, you know? Um, so I think there, you know, there are challenges, but boy, that whole area, I mean, we bought ground there mm-hmm. um, because it was my favorite place ever to hunt that Pike Brown, Adams, Schuyler County area. Yeah. I mean, I've shot several big bucks in that area and we love it. In fact, we bought a piece of property there and we haven't shot a buck on it in three years. Um, We are just really trying to get that age class up and just get some absolute studs. And I say, you know, a lot of times I'll shoot 150 inch deer. Well, there Mm -hmm. I may not, you know, we're really trying to get them to be that massive jaw dropping buck if I'm going to shoot it. And it's fun. You know, even if we go there and don't shoot anything, it's fun to go out and put in your food plots, hang the stand, see the photos, and then know that, you know, We've watched this buck for three years growing up. This might be the year we get to take him. And and I think there's a lot to be said for that as well. Oh, absolutely. Now, I mean, aside from the management programs, like what y'all are running, for lack of better terms, right? Like you're just, you're trying to cultivate a great place for giant bucks. And it almost seems like the whole state, I mean, obviously there's, there's things in the soil that, you know, like Kansas is historic for having big bucks too. And there's other states, but... What do you feel like aside from the management programs might be a reason why there's just such giant deer there? Well, you know, I think people go to Illinois with the thought in mind that they want to shoot a big buck. Um, There's also a lot of outfitters Mm -hmm. and a lot of outfitters have implemented, you know, 125 minimums or 140 inch minimums. 
Um, so when you get large chunks of land, all kind of abiding by that same thought process yeah. and even people, you know, you spend a bunch of money on a lease, well, they're not going to just go in and shoot the first deer they see. Mm. A lot of people are coming there more as a destination place to hunt. Um, so I think you're seeing that really help as well. Plus of course the minerals and think about the habitat. Yeah. So many people are going out of their way to make it ideal for deer. Mm-hmm. I mean, we leave four acres of corn or beans, whatever the farmer plants, we leave that all year just for the deer. Um, plus all the food plots we do inside the woods. So, you know, we're just one little place. Everybody's doing that kind of thing. And I think you're really creating, you know, a great paradise for these deer to live in. And, you know, depending on the amount of pressure, that can be one issue in Illinois. There can be a lot of hunters coming through, but you're giving them the good habitat and for us, it's great because if the neighbors have a bunch of people coming in and out, well, they're going to push the deer to our place where they can be nice and safe. That's true. You know, we kind of we kind of do the same thing in Texas is we try to not every neighbor abides by the same, you know, thought process that you do. Like, example, we've got neighbors to the north of us that really management minded, but the guys at the south of us, not so much. <laughs> so... It's, it's kind of a struggle there, but yeah, I mean, I, when you have a whole system community essentially kind of abiding by that same thought process, I mean, it's easy to understand why they get so big there. Yeah. And it does, it, it really does work and, and you can see it. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, talking about South Dakota and Montana, you know, yes, you're going to have your, your instances where you're going to get those big bucks. Like there's going to be, I don't know, maybe that one out of 10, that's just a really, really big buck. But it sounds like these two states for you, uh, it's it's a target-rich environment, similar to like how Texas is, and it's a great place that you can go shoot a great buck, but at the same time, you might have an opportunity at a true giant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, and I, I just feel like rattling and decoying and, and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff works so well here. Um, and I'm not sure if that's because maybe not that many people are doing it and the deer aren't used to it. Yeah. Um, but it, it just seems very conducive to using those types of techniques. And, you know, we've over the years kind of found that when that sweet time is, you know, I'll start putting that decoy out end of October. Mm-hmm. I use it all of November. And we actually last year used it all the way till mid-December. Wow. Um, and I think what's important when, when anytime you're doing those type of things is to watch with the deer, how they're reacting to it and then how they kind of act to each other. Mm-hmm. Because the reason we kept our decoy out so late last year is the fact that there were bucks chasing around those young fawns coming into estrus. And that second rut, a lot of times will happen in December. And when you see that, get that decoy out, you know, we hunt a lot of food plots and food sources late season, but the challenge is how do you get, we've got our hawk blind out there. How do you get these deer to come right in front of your stand when you're bow hunting? You know, there's, there's a giant field. They could come anywhere. Well, we put that decoy out and now suddenly all the deer are right there within archery range of our decoy. So if you can get that out late season and you still see a little of that rutting activity, it's just a great way to get those deer in front of your stand and get you that archery shot you're looking for. Heck yeah. Might have to go up to South Dakota one of these days. So it gets nice and cold and windy, but if you can tough it out, you'll enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know about, I don't know this Texas boy. I mean, we're used to seeing like night, we've seen 94 degrees on Christmas day before. So it will not be 94 degrees here. I can promise you that much. <laughs> Probably a foot of snow everywhere, right? 
Good chance of it. Gosh. Um, so, okay. So we've talked Illinois. We've talked South Dakota. We've talked Montana. You know, amongst some of these other places, uh, what are some other hotspots, if you will, states that you're looking at for the month of November? Like, what, what are some other ones outside of those that we've talked about? I like Iowa. I like Kansas. Um, but the thing with both Iowa and Kansas is the fact that you have to draw. You know, Iowa yeah. as a bow hunter, it's going to usually take you four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can get a shotgun or muzzleloader tag about every other year. Kansas looks to be lately about every other year as well um, for an archery tag. So, you know, those you just have to plan a little bit more for. So even if you're out there and you're thinking, gosh, you know, I'd love to maybe go hunt Kansas sometime or Iowa, start putting in for those points. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just so worth it because that way, you know, you may not have time this year, but then next year you're ready to go, you know, get those points built up. I think that's so helpful because then you just have more opportunity when you're ready to pull the trigger and go somewhere. If you have the idea, get out there, put in those points. And then, you know, when you're ready to go, you'll be all set for me. You know, I just, I put in year after year, I put in all across the country, um, but you're waiting. And that's kind of why I like Illinois and in South Dakota (laughs) and some of these places, because you can get those tags. Illinois archery is still over the counter. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool to have a state that has that good a box, that great a quality and have the opportunity to go in and buy an over the counter tag. You don't see that everywhere. No, no, you do not. Cause I mean, uh, I hunted Kansas this year and it, I had to have a point. I mean, luckily I drew this year, but I, it seems like it's kind of switching from maybe being an every year type draw for archery from going to year after or you know every other year depending on what part of the state you're wanting to go hunt yeah like um last year i drew the year before i did not and now this year i did not draw again for kansas so for me it's been in every other year um and you know again that's great i love kansas kansas is an awesome place to be able to go and um you know each state you also have to look at there's different Mm -hmm. ways to hunt like illinois you're not going to get out and do much spot and stock hunting Um, Some of the reason for that is most people's ground is smaller parcels and you just don't have that big country to go. We go to Montana, it's all spot and stock because they might have a hundred thousand acres you can go to. Um, In Illinois, you might have a hundred acres, right? So you have to learn how you're going to hunt. So Illinois is more tree stands and blinds. Um, Kansas, you know, you have the opportunity, you can bait there. Um, So that changes things a little bit too. Um, For people that are from states like I am, where we don't always get to bait, you know, sometimes people think, well, you just dump some food out, whatever, the deer all come. You know, there's more to it. You're setting up, you're you're really figuring out what those bucks are doing. The does might be on on the bait, but a lot of times those bucks are, you know, just scent checking those bait stations and moving place to place to place in November. So I like to really kind of take that into consideration, but, but that is something to know that, you know, you can, you know, there's different States you can do different things and, mm-hmm. and change the way you hunt. What's your thought on Nebraska? I love Nebraska. <laughs> um, the thing about Nebraska is um, what's nice is it's a two buck state. So I go there and I usually do a mule deer hunt um, and I do a whitetail hunt. And for me, it's close and Mm -hmm. they have big bucks. Now they have big mule deer. I do that normally out in the sand hills. And I think I've gone, I don't know, maybe nine, 10 years in a row and killed a nice buck every year on opening rifle season with, for muleys. Um, So for me, that's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of public ground in that area, which is also nice. 
But when it comes to whitetails, um, there are some amazing whitetail hunting that a lot of people don't know about. Um, and they really have some excellent bucks. Uh, it's only 30, 45 minutes from our house. So that's a place I always like to go to. And I'm always actively looking for a lease or, you know, somewhere that I can get. So if I get bucks on camera, I can just buzz down and, and be able to go hunting. But I really like Nebraska for that fact that, you know, again, it's easy to, to get those tags Mm -hmm. and to get numerous bucks and to have the opportunity at both whitetail and mule deer. That's pretty, you know, it's, it's something that's pretty interesting to a lot of people. Yeah. Cause you don't see a lot of States that share those two species. I know like far Western Kansas, you do like there's, there's some South Dakota and Montana. That's That's about it. it, Probably Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Forgot about Colorado and Texas. Don't yeah. We've got mule deer here in Texas. So yeah. And I feel like I almost kind of hesitated at bringing up Nebraska just because I feel like it is kind of that hidden gem because uh, you've seen so many people lately just with, you know, obviously if you want to go the outfitter route, you go that that route, but then just the the public land opportunities there that, that are presented to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the land, in my opinion, is pretty conducive to hunting. Yeah. You know, the that Sand Hills area, I love it for spot and stock mule deer hunting because, Mm -hmm. you know, you can just use the lay of the land and get in on bucks pretty good, both archery and with a rifle. And then as far as the whitetails, like I love hunting those river bottoms. To me, that's like one of the most fun things you can possibly do to sit on a big alfalfa field and see them all pour out of there in the evening. Mm -hmm. It just really makes it fun. And, you know, again, um, they don't have tons and tons of giant booners, but they have some. Oh yeah. And, um, they have more than, you know, some of the other states, maybe even more than like South Dakota, for example, um, where you really are starting to see that quality improve. And and I think part of it is because people are realizing, well, there's a lot of hunters who like big whitetails. We mm-hmm. better try to manage these and see what we can do to help them. And uh, it's good for everybody, good for tourism, good for farmers, good for ranchers. And it's great to see more and more public land opening as well. Absolutely. And, you know, the, I, I feel like, what we're going to begin to see more of in the future is I feel like there's a lot more people like, uh, let's say like our, our parents' generations, for example, they pretty much shot just about anything I'd say back in the day. Right. Because I mean, they, at the end of the day, they weren't really hunting for antlers. They were going after the meat, right. They weren't, they were wanting to fill the fridge, fill the freezer for the family. And, uh, I feel like now you're starting to see more and more people that sure they may see that, 115, 110, and even 120 or 130 buck in their pass. And I think you're going to start to see more areas that are conducive to target rich environments like South Dakota and Montana, maybe cultivate a healthier, bigger uh, population of deer. And I think that comes from the the people's demand, right? Yeah. Um, if that's what people are looking for and that's what people start adhering to, you're going to get more and more of that. And of course it comes back to the DNR and different places on how many mm-hmm. tags they give out and how many deer are being mm-hmm. killed. You know, um, it's a big part of it as to, you know, if you have rifle season, shotgun, crossbow, yeah. archery, you know, what are those numbers looking like? And at the end of the day, how many deer are, are being harvested? And, you know, is that, in the age classes you're looking for, what are things that can be done? And, and again, what do the people want? Exactly. And, and you know, it, I know this is a touch off topic, but I kind of look at it from the same scope of, uh, Colorado. I, from what I've understood is considering 
eliminating majority of their over-the-counter archery elk hunting opportunities. And obviously, I think that's been because of a, a big contribution to YouTube and just showing how easy it is to get over-the-counter tags. So you've seen just a enormous spike in hunters out there, which is awesome to see. It's great to see more people going out there, but it does affect the hunting. It, I mean, it's inevitable. It does. And so Colorado's considering limiting that uh, or putting a quota on it for an over-the-counter tag. And being an out-of-stater, I look at that. It's like, man, you're telling me I can't go to Colorado every year now to go chase after a bull elk? But at the same time, it's a bittersweet thing because I know that the state is doing it for like what we're talking about, essentially, I guess for a better lack of terms, you're calling it trophy management, if you will. Yeah. And you're making sure that the hunters have a good experience. Right. I think that's important um, because, you know, I'm doing everything possible to try to get more people involved in the hunting industry. Mm -hmm. So when I see there's places with more hunters, that makes me smile. I'm happy. There's some hunters who yeah. hate it. Um, but I think we always have to look out for the animals though, and make sure that we're not putting too much pressure, not taking too many animals. And that's where those agencies come in and really need to step up and say, mm -hmm. you know, we've had normally, you know, they do their surveys. I just did my Colorado survey yesterday. Yeah. They called and, and do all the information on it. You know, they need to know how many animals are being taken. And if that number is suddenly 200% more, well, something's going to give eventually, right? Yeah. You can't sustain that. So I just look at these agencies as much as I don't want to see hunters be turned away for any reason. Let's try to level it out and, and get people spread out. So that way mm -hmm. the animals can sustain and that hunters can have a good experience. Because if someone goes out for their very first hunt and all they do is run into other hunters, they're probably not going to want to do it again. Fun. So yeah. you may have hooked someone into hunting, but if you can't keep them, was that really a gain if they just go away the next year? So I think that's what more and more places are trying to do. And you can call it trophy management or whatever, yeah. but it's really making sure they have a good overall experience. Yeah. It's you're seeing more and more States do it. Like uh, Arizona did it with their archery mule deer tags. Like I, for most of the state, they're pretty much over the counter and you saw them last year, put a quota on it <laughs> and then uh, even put a quota on non-residents just to help give everybody a better experience. And you know, as a hunter, you're like, man, that stinks. But at the end of the day, it's it's helping out for better better things. Mm -hmm. So another another thing I want to kind of get back into with some of your favorite locations, favorite states. What do you feel like are maybe some sleeper states out there? Well, I think Missouri might be one of them. And that's another place where people can go and get tags. And a lot of times people think, well, geez, like where I used to hunt is just a few miles over the Iowa border. Yeah. You know? um, and you can get some nice deer. But again, seeing the difference just crossing that state line sometimes is almost shocking where you're like, you know, I, I know some people have recently taken some really nice bucks in, in Missouri this year even, and it'll bring more light to Missouri. But um, I think a big part of that is, you know, how many deer they allow hunters to take and, and non-residents there. Where Iowa, you know, you're waiting four years. Missouri, you're going every year. And mm -hmm. I think you can even get, you know, one or two bucks. I'm not sure. I can't remember anymore. But um, it, it's a lot more lenient than Iowa for sure. So I think you see that in the quality and you see that in the numbers. But again, you're right in the Midwest. And in yeah. my opinion, when November hits, anywhere you can be in that Illinois 
Iowa, Missouri, Kansas, you know, South Dakota, Montana, all those areas. It's amazing. And even Minnesota, mm-hmm. you know, I grew up in Minnesota. Um, a lot of people really enjoy hunting it, but the fact that they have a gun season during the middle of the rut obviously puts a hurt on the deer. Yeah. Um, but as far as a, a firearm hunter, kind of a cool place to go because there's not that many places that you can go during the rut and and see that. And I'm always too looking for places to extend the rut, right? So that's maybe going to Texas later, or I go up to Alberta after Thanksgiving and I hunt mule deer and whitetails up there and, you know, they're in the rut and, you know, you're seeing different things and different types of, of activity um, once you kind of broaden that horizon as much as possible. And, and I really enjoy doing that as well. What do you feel about, uh, I feel like a state that some people might be mad if we don't bring up is Ohio. I enjoy Ohio. And one of the things I like is that I feel Ohio can be a really good state to go to early, Mm -hmm. both Ohio and Kentucky. Um, those are places where, for me, when I'm looking at those first whitetail hunts of the year, those are my first two choices on getting right after it, yeah. getting out there and hunting those states because they really, they open early. They've got good opportunities, especially if you get one of those cold fronts early, oh, yeah. it can be amazing hunting. And of course, during the rut, I mean, Ohio has got some incredible bucks. So does Kentucky, you know, um, those are areas that I guess I would not consider in the heart of the Midwest but you still kind of get that experience. And a big thing too, is if people are looking for a new place to go, sometimes your best bet is to pick somewhere that's not so far from home. Yeah. So if, you know, Ohio or Kentucky is a little closer that to you than going all the way to South Dakota or, or Iowa or Illinois, you know, start there and you can really have some incredible experiences, both early season during the rut and late season. You know, they can really be good opportunities for any time of the year. But for me, I kind of like those two as my early season spots. Perfect. And then lastly, I got I got to bring him up because I know Mr. Josh Dalkey will be upset if I don't talk about his home states. What are your thoughts on Minnesota and Wisconsin? Obviously, Minnesota uh, being where you're from. Uh, we kind of touched on it earlier, but kind of just give the listeners a little, a uh, little bit on Wisconsin and Minnesota. You know, I think they're great places. Um, I think, you know, hunting heritage in those areas is very strong. You Big know, time. Wisconsin opening weekend, you have so many people going out. They're enjoying it. Um, there's some big bucks that are shot in both Minnesota yeah. and Wisconsin. You know, um, I think maybe it's like South Dakota where, you know, you may not see booners all the time. You mm-hmm. go in and and you see your local area, what people shot. Um they may not be at that 170 mark, but people are really enjoying the experience. They're out there. Families still get together. There's still deer hunting camps out there. And I think that's kind of neat to see. And I also think that you have a better chance at getting permission on some of these places um, to be able to go where, you know, Illinois is pretty, I'd say pretty bought up. You know, most people have a lease yeah. and they're not going to just let you hunt. Where you go to Minnesota, Wisconsin, I think a lot of times you got a good opportunity at still being able to go there and to hunt and, and to get some quality deer. And I grew up hunting public ground. Um, there's a lot of opportunities there that Mm -hmm. people miss, 
that are in some great areas. If you really look, you can find those spots. And I think, you know, having something like hunt stand where, you know, maybe you grew up in this area, but you want to head, you know, further South and see what's down in that area. Now you've got a way to either get the landowner information and give them a call, check into it, um, or even, you know, find public land. And I think people need to remember too, that it's not always about money. You know, Mm -hmm. if you find some older lady who who's still living on her home place and looks like she has great hunting, maybe offer to do some things for her. You know, I think that's something people forget about is she might just need a few things moved or something done that she would gladly let you hunt in exchange for a few, you know, helpful things around her place. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's something to remember as well. And I, I do believe you have a better opportunity at that happening in Minnesota and Wisconsin than some of the other places. Yeah. I was, Josh always talks about that, that he gets permission on places at times, especially for Turkey. I mean, I know we're talking deer hunting, but, uh, he, I think there's always like a week or two that he goes and knocks on doors for Turkey access. So Uh, And we do that here, Um, South Dakota, almost all our stuff. We knock on doors for turkey hunting. I am not going to say it's my favorite thing to do, um, but we do it all the time. And, you know, I don't know if we've hardly ever been turned down, Um, but the key there is making sure people understand that you're responsible. You're going to treat their land, you know, as if it were your own Mm -hmm. and you're not going to go in and shoot their whole flock of turkeys. I mean, I think people just, they can get a pretty good feel. And if you go and take the time go up on someone's door, knock. And then we always stop back and give thank, thank them, give them a yeah. little thank, you know, maybe give them a little bit of money or, or bring them, you know, a basket of some things. A lot of times we'll get Turkey sticks made and I'll bring Ooh. some of that back. And, and people remember that. And that goes a long way for both Turkey hunting or deer hunting or coyotes, whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Texas, it's, a, it's hard to do the access thing, but you can get permission through people, you know, like, uh, you, you can definitely do it. So Melissa, I know we're running out of time here, but just to kind of wrap up what we've talked about, you know, we've talked about some different states that, you know, trophy wise, um, getting a lot of opportunities with, and we've kind of gone down some rabbit holes with different states and why you like them, but to pretty much sum it up for November, sounds like Illinois is your go-to for some giants. And then you've got South Dakota and Montana in mind for really good opportunities, target rich environments, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I usually will keep Nebraska in my pocket for November as well. (laughs) Um, and I usually try to hit the opening rifle there, but you know, I just think it's important to make the most of your time in November. Mm -hmm. Um, if you have a week, try to plan it out where you can hit as many places as possible. You know, I'll a lot of times have extra tags that I probably have no intention on being able to get there, but if things are going well, you know, for me, I can go from South Dakota to Nebraska to Montana all in the same week. Um, and maybe sometimes people only have a week off. Um, but that is a way to make the most of that time. And, and it, it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes I'm stuck in one spot and never leave it. Um, but you have that opportunity. In fact, I think there was one year I killed three bucks over 150 in seven days. Gosh. Um, and, you know, that's like the peak of things working out. And I came home and I was so exhausted and tired because we would literally hunt all day, drive through the night. My cameraman and I would switch off sleeping. And I mean, it can be done, but again, mm-hmm. it's all on the location and where you're at. And of course, not everybody has, you know, the whole month of November. So right. it's just trying to make the most of that time and go to the best place that you can possibly be. And then when you get there, you hunt all day. 
hunt dark to dark. Do not come in. Um, stay out there because I found that midday movement is probably the best. I pr- I think I've killed more bucks between 10 and 2 than any other time in November. So to me, that's the time to be in the stand. Perfect. Well, Melissa, tell everybody real quick where they can watch your show, find you on socials, YouTube, all that good stuff. So Winchester Deadly Passion airs every Sunday morning on Sportsman's Channel and then five other times throughout the week. Uh, Monday evening, some variety of different times. Mm-hmm. You can go to melissabachman.com, see what I've been up to, check out all the different social media, um, and just appreciate you guys having me on today. Love it. Always love getting you on the podcast, talking deer hunting, learn something from you every time. Appreciate your time today, Melissa. Thank you for having me. All right, y'all, there you go. If you're looking to go out of state for the first time, or you've been a couple of times and you just haven't found success, I hope that you're able to take some advice from Melissa and narrow down your search and finding that great place to go after some deer out of your home state. Again, y'all, we just want to thank you for tuning into the Hunt Stand podcast. We really appreciate all the support. If you haven't yet, make sure you rate, review, and make sure you've either downloaded or subscribed to the podcast. And if you haven't yet, download the Hunt Stand app. We got free, pro, and then of course, to unlock all the features, upgrade to pro whitetail today. Thanks again for tuning in this week's episode and we'll see you on the next one.